This is the First Christian Church of Lubbock podcast, where we exist to share the gospel and edify the church through Bible-based teachings and content. I am your host, Scott Hall. On this episode, Pastor Paul Carpenter teaches over Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. This was taken from our Wednesday noon Bible study, hosted on November 4th, 2020. Well, good afternoon, church. Just a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, I spoke to our leadership this morning, our church leadership, chair of the board, elders and deacons. And starting this Sunday, we're going to be requiring masks, uh, not just because uh, right now they've been encouraged. Uh, but because Lubbock, Lubbock, Texas is is setting records in the bad way. Uh, I think I think uh, Houston has six million people. And we have just 57 less cases than them a day. And we have about 300,000 people. So we're going to be, and, and people can, you know, argue whether or not how effective masks are. I really don't know, but it is a step we're going to take as a church. Um, if, if the numbers trend and if we don't have success, luckily for our church, we've been safe within the church. We have had members get the virus. We want to prevent transmission in the church. Um, if we have to, we'll just have to relocate everything out, outside again, which is something I don't want to do. I don't know what that would mean for Bible study, but, um, so we're asking beginning this Sunday, everyone wear masks. And the, the hard thing is, is we'll need to keep the masks on while we're worshiping. And it's hard to sing like that. It's hard to do certain things like that. Today you get a free pass. Um, and, and the last thing is we're also, uh, not going to permit the, uh, just a shield the studies show that actually doesn't block anything. Um, it's more comfortable, and there's a reason it's more comfortable. So uh, we've been able to make it through all these adjustments as we've gone. If you've got any concerns, you can come talk to me. I, I hope you understand my position, as lead, leading is not very easy right now in our country. Um, so that's just a change I want you to be aware of. I hope you'll receive that with uh, relief. And uh, it's, I call it the Costco rule. Uh, ages 10 and under, uh, parents' discretion, but everyone else has to wear a mask. Unless you're up here speaking, I get to show my privilege and speak without a mask in front of all of you and breathe openly just to make you jealous. <laughs> but, you know, the reason we do church is not about masks. It's not about caution and all that. The reason we do church is to grow in the likeness of Christ through Bible study and through sacrament. We do everything we can to continue to, to encourage the gathering of the saints. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we gather as uh, a, the people of God in this country as we are uh, anticipating what it is you're, you're doing as you rule through, um, through the election process. We do trust you. We thank you for Jesus, who is uh, lording over all of this. God, until we have clarity, uh, we continue to, to hold our breath a little bit and, um, and to continue the, the faith and the prayers. God, we thank you for the benefits you give us as the church to bear light, to let the, the glory of Jesus shine off of our countenance into this dark world. We pray, Father, that we would not let up on our witness for Christ on our desire for scripture, our reception of sacrament. May you continue to take deep the things of God into the people of God. Protect our fellowship and all of our friend and sister churches from the harassment of this virus. We pray that you would uh, cause the virus to dissipate in Lubbock and uh, for this to be more manageable. We pray a blessing over those, uh, especially members of our church who've lost their lives uh, over this deal. And we pray, Father, that we would continue um, with faith the path of Christ for our age and our time. Give us wisdom, give us unity, and give us the power of the name of Jesus over all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. We are still in the Sermon on the Mount. It's been about a month since we've been able to teach from Matthew. And I don't know about you, but I need to be in the Word today after everything that's going on in our country. So
So Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, which is the first of his formal teachings to his church. As we've mentioned before, Jesus does not have a conflictual relationship with the Old Testament. He loves the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it. If there's anything in the Older Testament, anything in Leviticus or Numbers that we tease out or deal with today, that we roll our eyes out and try to say, well, I believe in Jesus. I don't believe in all that. Well, if you believe in Jesus, you better believe in all that because Jesus came to fulfill all that. In addition to fulfilling all the ceremonial laws, he gave himself as a sacrifice so that we no longer have to sacrifice uh, at the altar. He also came to show us that many of the uh, ethics of the Old Testament as Christians persist, including sexual ethics, the way we treat our neighbors, the way we steward our lives. And so today he's in his sermon, he's teaching about three primary uh, uh, practices called acts of righteousness, works that are a necessary element as a Christian. Now works do not produce faith, However, works are the result of an act of faith in Jesus Christ. So let's turn to the Word of God and discern what Jesus is teaching. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. <clears throat> but if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. <clears throat> when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show people they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so the beginning of this teaching in this section, he uses the word be careful. Your version may say beware. <clears throat> to be honest with you, when I normally think of these three teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think of it as a true caution. I think of it as an interesting teaching. I mean, how often do we read the words of Christ and think, isn't that neat? As opposed to, this is important. This is, uh, be, beware, be careful. You're warned by Christ. And he's warning us to check our hearts to see two things in regard to some spiritual acts that are to be part of our lives. The first one is that we are to do certain acts of righteousness. You know, Jesus, uh, to the American Christian, this is a, kind of a new thing. 
Um, but he doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. Fasting is something we'll be talking about today. And that's just not a, a, a rhythmic idea or a, a, a forefronted. Like if, if you were to you know, have somebody that you know is a devout Christian and they have never prayed in their life, wouldn't you have some questions? How is that possible? Why don't you pray? What advantage is it of to, to you to not pray? Don't you want to pray? Well, these three uh, teachings of Christ, these three righteous acts, are designed to be part of the rhythm of the life of the Christian. As you can tell, I'll be up here giving my Amway talk, trying to encourage everyone to consider incorporating fasting, uh, solid, uh, uh, solitude, um, silence, giving, prayer. There are acts that are in line with Christ. One time, uh, a preacher I sat under his teaching held up a rock, and he said, this rock is the best Christian. This, of course, the sermon is called Christian Rock. I thought we were going to be talking about like Christian music, you know, but good Christian rock. And this, why this rock's a perfect Christian? Because the rock never blasphemes. It never lusts. It never uh, uh, entertains heresy. This rock never offends God. It's a perfect Christian. And of course, in that sermon, you know the whole time you're thinking, he's wrong. <laughs> because it's not just about what you don't do. And that's the point he was making. It's not just about preventing messing up. It's about what you do. A rock cannot be a Christian because a rock is incapable of fasting. A rock is incapable of preaching. Even the stones could cry out, but that would be done through the sovereignty of God. The, the, a rock cannot be a Christian like you can be a Christian. So there's up front, Jesus says, check your heart. Number one, that there should be some practices that are incorporated in your life. I think it's great that we're a Protestant church. I think it's great that y'all allow me to practically to be a Lutheran or a Baptist up here preaching salvation through faith alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. But we also know, according to Martin Luther, that true faith doesn't come alone. It comes with fruit and with works. So we don't generally run the risk in our congregation of putting too much uh, emphasis on works because we believe in salvation through faith. However, it is important that as we mature that works are part of that fruit of faith. Connection to Jesus is the root. Active works of righteousness are the fruit. The second thing that we need to beware and check our heart is that we are to do these works of righteousness in the sight of God and not in the sight of people. Jesus, in these three teachings, uses the word hip hypocrites or hypocrisy. And hypocrites in Greek just means a play actor, uh, a stage person, person pretending. And it could be defined here as hypocrisy in this sense is to do an act that is pretending to exalt Jesus when it is really done to exalt yourself. So it's the same act on paper, but the attitude and the intent and the desire for a reward is actually not to lift Jesus up, but to lift me up. So that's the warning, is you're to do these things. You are to pray, you are to give, and you are to fast, but you are not to do any of these things to exalt yourself, but to exalt the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, and then I put rejoice because he clearly says that acts of righteousness in both deed and attitude come with a heavenly reward. I think it's, uh, it's faulty logic to say that there should only be one motivation for your Christian faith. Uh, I think there can be multiple motivations multiple incentives. Yes, that Christ be known. Yes, that you can have eternal life. Uh, it's okay to come to church because it has a direct benefit to your peace. People say, you should only do this if it does this. You should only go to church if it exalts Christ. Well, yeah, you need to be careful you're not exalting yourself. But Jesus does use incentives. He says there is reward. All the works that you do that will be consulted through the books of deeds at the end of your life, 
will be directly linked to the crown you'll get. It'll be directly linked to the weight of glory. There'll be different degrees of glory in heaven, and the way you spend your short life on earth in faith in Jesus is linked to who you will be looking like in heaven. Now, the way you get to heaven is by sheer grace through faith in Jesus. But your stature in heaven will be tied and linked to your works on earth. And ironically, you know, you know what you do with your crown regardless of the size? You cast it at Jesus. That's the big joke. You want to bring as much glory in as you can to throw it at Jesus Christ, a fragrant offering. So the three acts that we see, we start with giving to the needy. Ephesians 2.10, you know, I can't teach anything from Jesus without turning to Paul. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are Christ's, God's instruments created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. One of the good works that God prepared for us is to let God give through us to those in need. We are designed to receive great things from God, to overflow, and to let it be shared by others. As I think I mentioned on Sunday, uh, a saying I've heard, and I believe, that God won't give to you unless he can give through you. He won't make you a stagnant pool, but he'll create an outlet so that it flows from your life into the next. So the concept that we are to be generous to especially people in need is up front. There's no getting around it. Now, what you'll see in the New Testament is that it's actually privileged first to the saints. In a few weeks in service, we'll be studying uh, Matthew 25 on the sheep and goats parable. And Jesus, is, it's many times spoken out of context as a socialistic, communistic teaching that the church ought to be promoting a certain governmental system to feed the least of these when Jesus is clear that you are to visit the, those in prison and in the hospital, the least of these of the saints of the church. Um, you know, the days could be coming, and hopefully not through any time soon, where, you know, a preacher could end up in uh, dire straits for preaching the Bible. It could be interpreted as hate speech, and a guy like me could be sitting around in, a, in an institution, and I would hope you would write me letters. The Bible doesn't say defend yourself, change the laws, and make it easier to be a Christian. The Bible says do your job and support one another, regardless of the conditions. And so what you see first is that you are to privilege, prioritize, uh, bending over backward to help the people of the saints, of the flock. Make sure your brothers and sisters have food. Make sure they're visited. Um, the outreach ministries of churches many times need to first start with their own. How are our homebound members taken care of? We have a ministry here that's been paused because of the virus that makes sure the sacrament is brought to everybody who wants it including people in the hospital, people at home, every single week. In the words of Mike Ragg, a couple years ago, he said, uh, if somebody's not involved in the life of First Christian Church, that's their choice. Make sure your church, your household, your life is so generous outwardly that the problem isn't you. It's not the giver. It might be the receiver. And then we can turn to the lost. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to be like the Good Samaritan, to find the person that no one else is helping and be willing to help them. Both of those are important. So giving to the needy is not uh, uh, debatable. Of course, I'm speaking to the choir, to, preaching to the choir today. I know most of you very closely. I know how generous you are. I know how uh, concerned you are that God is using you for the welfare of the church, the welfare of the lost. So it's not so much the act today when it comes to giving, it's the attitude. And that's where Jesus warns us, that you do it and that you watch to make sure you're not doing it as a hypocrite. You know, our congregation just recently participated in uh, a fundraiser to give money for water wells in Africa. And the whole time you have that struggle uh, this would be a wonderful thing to promote First Christian. Look what God's doing at First Christian. Look at this. Look at this. 
And the question is, how does saying that help the people we're trying to help? Um, as we teach through this, I, I'm proud to, to say that we did have a, a, a very generous uh, individual or household that gave a, a, a match of up to $50,000. And I legitimately am saying I have no idea who that is. They could be in this room. I don't know who they are. And they're fulfilling this. They were very clear with our staff member that I'll do this if you keep my identity secret. And that needs to be honored. I'm also proud and uh, rejoicing that over 193 households participated in this. It wasn't just five or six people coming together. It was across the board. People who said, I, I don't want to be known. I just want Christ to be known. And so we've seen this one in action recently. And the, the two things to look at that Jesus is teaching, I'll read through it, then we'll break it down. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before people to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by people. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Self-glorification versus active righteousness are the two ways we're going to look at. what it, It's the same act. What's the heart? Self-glorification, I've written here, says, I give because I'm a giving person. That's pride. I give because that's my reputation. I give because that's who I am. I give because I'm a good person. That's pride. I've written here, I want to know and I want others to know what kind of a person I am. And their reward is to be honored by men. And they like to be loud. The same act, and if you check your heart, you might find that that's a struggle each of us have, that we find, you know, we, we do certain things for different reasons, and, and at times we might even find ourselves saying, it's the way I was raised. We have different ways of saying it. My parents raised me to be like this. Therefore, I'm doing this. And the act is here to bear witness to who I am. Now, you do know a tree by its fruit, but this is in a different sense. The reason we, this person or this attitude does it is out of pride. They want to be seen. They want to be noticed. You know, if a, if, a, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there, does it make a sound? If a proud person gives a dollar to the church and no one hears about it, does it count? <laughs> I give because I'm a giving person. Versus an act of righteousness. Here's an act of righteousness. I give because I choose to imagine what it's like to be hungry. It's called empathy. The same act. One, because I'm a giving person. The other, because I'm moved, because I, I'm, I've been, by the Spirit's power, able to imagine what need feels like. I want to know, before I wrote, I want to know and I want others to know what kind of person I am. I want to prove what kind of person I am. Versus, I want to know and I want others to know what kind of person God is. The reward is to be honored by God, by angels, by saints, and by Christ. The first is done loudly the other's done in secret. And so you think of all the sacrifices you make. And this is really not about tithing. That's another topic. I won't get into it. The New Testament actually doesn't teach the tithe. But please keep tithing because I really like getting a paycheck. It's a, it's a joke. But this is talking about 
your lifestyle of, of helping people. And we've, I've, I've watched you all the time. This, it's, it's a symphony of activity. It's not a pledge card. It's a, it's a way of life. I, I watch y'all do things for people, and I watch you all make meals for St. Benedict's and be willing to stay overnight at Family Promise and, and to do all the countless things that only God knows because he's prompting you and the Holy Spirit to do them. They don't come back into the church. We don't gather them all together and say, look what we did together. Instead, it's so much that it's designed that we aren't capable of keeping track because we're not trying to keep track. We trust that God takes what's done in secret and rewards what's done in secret. The second one is prayer. This is an act of righteousness that is uh, non-negotiable. It's to be part of the Christian's life. I've been working with Marilyn Rag on uh, some curriculum that we'll be talking a lot about soon uh, to be done uh, in, in smaller groups. In fact, there's a group of young women right now. My wife's in there, and they're uh, previewing this curriculum to see if it will work for them. And, and so on prayer, Marilyn and I discovered through a, an old uh, catechism that prayer is defined as pouring your heart out to God. Uh, one of the uh, experiences or effects of the man, Jesus Christ, who's alive today, who walks amongst the lampstands of his churches, who is with us in the Holy Spirit, one of the, one of the reactions of a person in the presence of Jesus is their heart starts to gush. I mean, haven't, haven't you just been so broken and tired and you finally found somebody who will listen to you and you can't stop crying? You can't stop sharing and you just, and then afterward, they didn't say a word. He said, thanks, thanks so much, two hours in. That's prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. You pour your heart out to God, and the attitude with which to pray, also from the catechism, is with love, with perseverance, and with gratefulness. That's the point. Um, and later, we also discern that uh, the entire Bible is written to teach us what, what we should pray for, and Jesus shows us one way to pray through the Lord's Prayer. So let's look at the difference. Jesus says right here, when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites. Again, hypocrites are people who are doing the action that's intended to exalt God, but they're actually exalting themselves. So don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. He keeps adding the word in full, as in they're done. Their prayers have no effect in terms of eternal consequences, the movement of the Holy Ghost, or heaven involved in their life. They've received their reward by being seen by people. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Self-glorification, prayer from a self-glorification attitude is I, everyone loves a, and honors a prayerful person. It's the belief that if I am mature in the religious sense, then that's good for me. And that's something commendable. The reward of being a person who prays to be seen is to be honored and seen. That's it. It's the kid jumping off the diving board. It doesn't count unless dad, mom saw. Did you watch? Did you see? Did you see me? I got to do it again. You know, if you have an inspiration by the scriptures, does it count unless you post it on Facebook? You know? <laughs> I'm talking to myself, by the way. How wicked we are. Does it count? Yeah, does it count? Um, the goal, I mean, the goal of praying, in, if you're a hypocrite, the goal of praying in public is to pray in public. 
If you're not a hypocrite, the goal of praying anywhere is to pray and be heard by God and to let God do immeasurably more than you know what to ask or pray for. And so what's, what, what do you want? Do you want the power of prayer or do you want to be seen? Because there's other things you can do to be seen. You can walk around naked right now. That'll work. Uh, you can, uh, you, there's all sorts of stuff. You can, you can get a louder car. You can live in a bigger house. You can, you can be a, a, a nice person or a really mean person. There's lots of ways to get attention. Why pray? So that's self-glorification, using prayer to be seen as opposed to an act of righteousness where prayer is um, to say, and this is the words of Jesus. He says, go home, go to your room, close the door, and pray to God unseen. What I do in privacy behind a closed door without any interference from the world reveals my true religion. Do you want to know what the true religion of a person is? You won't. But they will. Whatever you do, whatever you try to steal away to do, finally, is it to have a cigarette? Is it to have a breath of fresh air? Is it to check your blogs? Whatever, what, that moment when you just got to come up for air, whatever that thing you're coming up for will determine what your true religion is, where you find your strength, your hope, your call, your cry for mercy. Jesus says that moment when you have all alone space, pray. Prayer as an act of righteousness is primarily unseen. I used to teach a class at a church camp for children about how to pray public prayers because most of them go to church and they're asked at some point to stand and pray. And as I'm sure you know, that that's like the most terrifying thing in most churches at the end of Sunday school is who's going to pray? And uh, so they wanted me to teach a lesson on that. Of course, I didn't have much to say except your public prayer life is going to be, if it's authentic, it's going to be intimately linked to your private prayer life. And the first time, the first time somebody should be on the line shooting a free throw shouldn't be in the championship game, but should be in the gym when nobody's there two hours after practice. Uh, it's okay to pray publicly. It's okay to pray like we just prayed, but it is not okay for that to be the premium and the uh, sole nature of your prayer life. You know, do y'all assume, I'm just asking, do you assume that when I open this Bible up here that this is not the first time I've done this all week? Or when I clasp my hands and lead the congregation, are you just kind of making the assumption that I have a prayer life beyond Sunday morning? That's an assumption you should have for anybody you're listening to or being guided to in prayer, guided through in prayer, because it's the true act of righteousness is, is done in ways where there is no hope but in God and there is no, vo no, there is no ear prayed to but God, I, I, it doesn't matter if somebody else hears you because you're not praying to be seen by men. So just imagine God magnifying and pouring into you that desire to go home, to close the door behind you, and to be completely private and to pour your heart out to God. That's the act of righteousness. Now, we're going to teach more on prayer because Jesus teaches more. He says in verse 7, and when you pray, you can tell he's pretty annoyed. <laughs> Don't do it like them. Oh, and by the way, let me keep going. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. And we'll go over this in just a minute. Self-glorification in prayer life. Again, hypocrisy is to do the act, but not to exalt Christ, but to exalt oneself. 
Self-glorification says, see how I have a mastery over the English language and how I can practice my prose. Neither listening nor connecting with heaven, I'm comfortable asking questions I do not mean and I answer glibly. How are you today? Fine. That's the basis of my prayer life. Saying things, turns of phrases, cliches that are just meaningless. Asking questions you're not really asking. Pretending to listen when you never listen. Babbling on, babbling on. Proving to your listeners, wow, he can pray without any notes. Listen to his vocabulary. It's a performance. It's a literary performance. It's a wordsmith. You know the greatest wordsmith on the planet outside of the Trinity? The devil. If you want to have your ears tingled by somebody talented and crafty and wily and can speak all the languages... He's here. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be in the book of life covered with the blood to bow your head and entertain the world by your use of language. But you do have to be a Christian to do what Jesus says next. This is how the Christian prays. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, I'll say it literally here, but deliver us from the evil one. The actual content of prayer, the, the language we are to use is to be heartfelt and direct. Heartfelt and direct. I've written here also, pray what God has told you to pray for with sincerity and perseverance. The power of the Lord's prayer is that we didn't come up with it. Where did you learn it? Did it come from your heart? No. Where did it come from? It came from Christ. How did you learn it? The true, true answer is, I don't know. Probably through multiple sources, but you learned it through the Bible. You learned it through the liturgy. You've learned it on Sunday morning. You've learned it from your grandma. You've learned it, and you've learned it, and you've learned it. The Lord's Prayer, as we call it, is a direct prayer that originated in heaven that can be and should still be prayed with great perseverance and earnestness. That prayer has more power to it than the babbling prose of a pagan. Do you believe that? Because in the modern world and modern church, Prayers only seem to count if you say Father God 20 times. Or if you're surrounded with four other people who keep mumbling while you're praying. I'm not against charisma. I think it's okay. But the prayers of the saints are to use the scriptures to discern what God says. And to take that one nugget and go bloody your knuckles on the door of heaven. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, you have promised to carry to completion the work you began in me. Father, you have promised to carry to completion the work you began in me. Direct, persistent, biblical. As Marilyn and I have discerned, part of the Bible study we'll be teaching, the curriculum is teaching how to use the Bible to find what to pray for.
to study through three verses of Scripture and write down the 12 things that the Bible is clearly saying, this is what you should pray for. Kevin DeYoung, a Presbyterian pastor, says, if all the prayers you prayed last month were answered, what are the names of the uh, converts? What are the names of the missionaries sent out? What are the sins that have been confessed? Oh, I was supposed to be praying for that? I thought I was just supposed to be praying for who the president was going to be. The prayers as an act of righteousness are designed to be heartfelt and direct, and God will direct you in what to pray for through his word. And the last thing I want to say about prayer is what Jesus says at the end of the Lord's Prayer. If you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. A sign of this being an authentic act of righteousness and not just an act of hypocrisy is that the power of prayer is at work in your own heart. You're not just praying for external circumstances, but you see that while praying, God is changing your heart, that you're capable through the divine gift of forgiveness to ex exercise that in the lives of others. So prayer, again, like giving to the needy, can either be used to say, look at me, or to say, look at God. And in this case, the first one was loud versus secret, and prayer, as opposed to giving, is seen versus unseen. What is happening in your heart and in your life in regard to Christ when you're all alone? The last one is fasting. Uh, fasting is, my words are, it's temporarily not leaning on a worldly method for comfort or in, and connection in order to be available for more of God's work in your life. The words of John Piper sum up his entire theory on the gospel is that God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in God. And he argues, he's, he calls it Christian he, hedonism. <laughs> that the problem with the Christian isn't that we have too much desire, it's that we don't desire enough. And that we spend our desire on things that are, are worthless. But we ought to grow in desire and then have that uh, geared toward, turn toward God. Fasting is part of that work. And so when you fast, and of course there are multiple ways of fasting, uh, multiple uh, things to fast from, but just think of something that you rely on for comfort, something you rely on for a sense of uh, connection, and to recognize that Jesus is willing to give you more of himself than that can give you, than food can give you, than a cell phone can give you. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was on uh, a two-day rest with I, I look for three things on a time of rest it's, uh, to be so, in solitude. It's to have silence and fasting. And the primary fasting was from any electronic device. And of course, I've got kids and family. Every once in a while, I'd pick it up uh, to check on it. And one thing leads to another, and then you're checking to see when the Aggies are playing South Carolina. And next thing I hear in my conscience, because I'm in a space to be able to listen, I hear hey, you don't need to be doing that. And it was a joyful thing. It's like, it, it was God saying, you don't, need to, you don't need to worry about that or you're not responsible for that. And I sat down on my phone and said, great. I mean, wouldn't you love somebody to say, hey, you don't need to do the dishes tonight. <laughs> okay. And so I would put my phone down. And since that time, I've been listening for that conviction of the conscience. Hey, you don't need to be doing that. And that's part of daily fasting setting something down. So in the two ways to look at, at this, and fasting is a huge topic, we're just going to treat it. And the one thing I do need to say, by the way, is that, that just as prayer and giving are, are essential acts of righteousness, so fasting is, is for the Christian. And if that's new for you, I want to invite you to the joys of, of just like the prayer, trying to describe prayer to somebody who's never done it before. 
the joys of fasting, the cost is nowhere near the gain. What you give up is nowhere near what you, what you receive. So if you get anything out of this today, in addition to checking your heart and amending some of the practices you're currently doing, I really want to encourage you to, to consider how God has been calling you to say, hey, you don't need to be doing that. Now, he does say, don't tell everybody you're fasting in multiple ways. I think with the saints, in order to teach it, I can. Each year I give up alcohol for, uh, for Lent. Other than that, I'm just a raging drunk. Um, I'm kidding. But, you know, I like to come home, like to have a glass of wine. I married an Italian, and that's what we do. And, you know, of course, they drink out of little juice cups. And uh, I've, every year I give up alcohol for Lent, and I did this year, and Lent coincided with uh, uh, COVID. Pretty much when Lent started, COVID started. And after that, Easter came around, and normally uh, after, after church, I can go have a beer or something, and, and I, I just didn't want to. And I really felt like God was calling me to continue to fast until this is over, I'm assuming. Before I moved to Lubbock, I was on a three-year alcohol fast, and you just know it. You just know it when it hits you that you're supposed to, hey, you don't need to be doing that. So, okay. And you don't even think about asking, when's this over? Uh, I was on a meat fast. Do you remember that? I was on a meat fast when I came here. And it started with Valerie. It's her fault. You know, I didn't. But people thought I was a vegetarian, which is a complete joke. But there's no, it's hard to teach an American what fasting is. They, they think you're like a, something else. And I'm like, no, I love meat. I just hate vegetables. I'm trying to rid the world of them all by eating them. But, you, you know, you, you'll find yourself not, you'll find yourself abstaining from things that used to be central to your life that God may re-allow back into your life. And the way I jokingly teach it is to say that it's like... Um, it's like turning off the TV when your spouse is talking to you. It's a sign of respect, and you're also more likely to hear what they're saying. And so what do you need to turn off? What, 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 uh, what browser has been up in your life on your computer for so long you don't even notice it that God is calling you to? I always joke around Lent, I avoid eye contact with coffee because I'm afraid he's going to call me away from coffee. But he might. So self-glorification means, in terms of fasting, is, hey, I can live without this or that. Watch me. And so the point of fasting for a hypocrite is a show. Uh, there's a, a, a list. I don't know if you can say this stuff anymore. The world's changed. But there's a list that says uh, things white people like, and it's making fun of white culture. Uh, white people like parades and running marathons and um, uh, one of them was telling people they don't own a TV or that they don't watch television, like making it clear to everybody that, I, that I'm, that I'm a, a granola person. I drive a Subaru and I have a golden retriever and I don't eat meat and I don't watch TV and I just want you all to know that. You know, we, we have these things, these, these personas we like to describe to people and make sure they're out there. Um, and so hypocrites will, according to Jesus, he says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces. Of course, they're probably ugly before this, but, you know, but they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. That's the point. Hey, watch me. Uh, an act of righteousness, however, Jesus says, but uh, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. That's in their terms, be hygienic, look your best, so that it will not be obvious to people that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So as an act of righteousness, this fasting is saying, I can't believe God is willing to give me more of him than I'm willing to pray for or imagine. Let me make room. So the difference between hypocrisy is showmanship versus authenticity, which is reception. So as you look at these three acts, again, giving, the bad one is, is to be loud, the other one's to be quiet. For prayer, 
One is to be seen, the other is to be unseen by people. And for fasting, one is to show and the others to receive. And so the question is, what do you want? Because all of these actions, all of these acts come with reward. Do you care about the reward? Because it turns out the hypocrites, actually the reason they don't do the right things is because they don't really want the reward. They don't care. They don't want the reward that God's willing to give them. All the heavenly blessings. They have another goal, and that's to fit in, to have the reward now, to be carnal, to be worldly, to be lost men who have found religion, which can save no one. So that's the question. What do you want? In the words of Jerry Maguire, help me help you, says Jesus. What do you want? And I'll help you get it, as long as it's the things of heaven. And those who authentically want heaven begin to become transformed by the things they want, which is nearness to Christ, all the things God says he's willing to give, more than you can imagine. I would like that. That's the, that's the motivation to be a giving person, a praying person, a fasting person. So Jesus teaches this lesson, and I just want to leave us with this, with a warning. He says, beware. That's how it all starts. Beware. Look at your heart. Are you doing these things? Are they incorporated into your walk with Christ? Number two, are you doing them in the sight of God? Or are you doing them in the sight of mankind? Let's pray. Holy Father, we know by faith that we are born and coached in much sin. And barring your intervention and your hand on our heart, even every act that we could do of religion would just be another expression of our sinfulness. May we be more than doers, but may we be people who are doing in order to receive more of Christ. People touched by grace and people who are wanting more, wanting to look like that grace. God, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit in prompting us on how to give so that our left hand would not know what our right hand is doing. We pray, Lord, for our prayer life to be vibrant and zealous, to be robust and strong. We pray, Lord, that scriptures, the most simple scripture, would come to light in our heart when we're praying and we would just meditate on it, agree to it. For God, we know that in the spirit you're willing to think your thoughts into your church, that we would agree in them. And Father, we pray for the power of invitation to make room for what you'll give us. To clean out the garage before the Ferrari gets there. Help us to clean out our time, our attitude, our, our focuses. And to be in a position of reception of whatever it is you choose to say, give, or do in our life. To exalt the humble. We trust you, Lord. We thank you for this invitation. And we know that when we're talking with you, we're not talking about one-to-one. -one, we're talking 100-fold. Great growth and stretching of our hearts and minds. And so we courageously give ourselves over to this process of these acts of righteousness by faith in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.